Marvel is going to be revisiting Nightcrawler's Origins and X-Men Blue Origins, and we're going to discuss... Boom! What's up, Familia? Dayspring here to discuss X-Men Blue Origins. Marvel announced last month that they're going to be revisiting Nightcrawler's Origins, the one true Nightcrawler origin, and I thought we can discuss this because... You know, we all know as long-term X-Men fans that Chris Claremont had a very different idea to what Nightcrawler's origins should be. And then Chuck Austin kind of came in and did something differently altogether. And by the way, we had Chuck Austin on the podcast. How did Nurse Annie come to be? How did Um, you conjure up this nurse goddess? So you should definitely check out that episode. I'm going to link it in the description below. But I thought we can like break down the press release and then go over Nightcrawler's editorial history, what the intent behind the character was, and then we'll speculate on what his new origin could be and I can give my feels on it. So buckle up. I thought this was going to be a very fun Friday episode. Grab your cup of coffee. Mm. If you're working from home, if you're working from the office, or if you have a summer Friday, the last summer Friday, buckle in. Let's have a really fun conversation. So I couldn't discuss this last month when it came out because I left my laptop at Petros. <laughs> so I'm catching up on all this news. But I thought this was an evergreen topic, right? But at San Diego last month, they announced that they were going to be doing X-Men Blue Origins, issue number one, which reveals the truth behind Nightcrawler's birth. So let's go over this article that Marvel released. Just now, fans gathered at the Designing the X-Men, a This Week in Marvel special event panel at San Diego Comic-Con to score a behind-the-scenes look at the current slate of X-Men and get a tease at what's next for the mutant mythos straight from Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sobalski, Senior Editor Jordan D. White, and Editor Sarah Bernstein, and more. Amongst exciting teasers for the X-Men's next era, the announcements of a brand new one-shot will shed light on a historic Marvel Comics mystery. X-Men Blue Origins Number 1, written by mind-bending X-Men scribe Cy Spurrier. We have also had Cy Spurrier on the podcast before. And drawn by acclaimed artist Wilton Santos, X-Men Blue Origins will at long last provide the definitive origin story for Nightcrawler. I mean, they're saying at long last. I mean, I'm always so curious about marketing copy. We've talked about marketing copy endlessly on this podcast. I don't know why they're saying at long last. I don't think anyone's been scratching their head about Nightcrawler's origins, you know, for the last couple of years. I mean, the Chuck Austin origin, revised origin with Azazel was not well received. And of course, we're going to talk about that. But we kind of at the time was just like, well, this is bullshit. But okay, we're just going to accept it and move on. Since his earliest days with the X-Men, under writer Chris Claremont, the circumstances of Nightcrawler's birth has been the subject of rumors, half-truths, and heartbreak. Now, Spurrier, who's guided the character through the Krakoan age, as well as the upcoming journey through Fall of X and Uncanny Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, I'm not excited for Uncanny Spider-Man, to be very clear for me. Though. But anyways, clears away all the lies you've been told and delivers the truth about Mystique and Nightcrawler once and for all. All the lies we've been told. Guys, I mean, I, that's fine. I know they're talking about it in story, the lies we have been told, but... Mm, there's never been an indication that Mystique was lying about what happened with Azazel. So the only lies we have been told has been through 
editorial and the writers. And again, like th- there's never been an indication in story that the that this was somehow open ended. In fact, when we dive into it, when we talk about when we talk about Chuck Austin's issue where he kind of outlined Nightcrawler's origin, it's pretty definitive, right? And it's not even told from Mystique's perspective. It is a flashback issue that is a bird's eye point of view of what happens. So no lies have been told. <laughs> no lies have been told at all. The only lies we've been told are the stories that editorial has approved and put out. But anyways, this is the one you can't miss, true believer. You think you know how the beloved Blue Devil came into this troubled world? You think you know the tale of his mama mystique? (laughs) You don't. (laughs) You don't. Mother and son reunite. Ah, mother and son reunite. So mystique did not die at the Hellfire Gala. I'm sorry, I should have read this article a month ago. I'm only reading it now because I wanted to do this video and I kind of wanted to have this genuine reaction when I'm reading the, the copy. So mother and son reunite. Mystique is not dead. Mystique is not dead. The Hellfire Gala, we intuitively called it because, you know, she went crazy while after Xavier was trying to hijack her mind. She fell out of the window. She bled out on a rock, which would have killed any anyone. But of course, it's Mystique. And then, you know, the waves washed her away. We didn't really see the waves washing her away. We were just told by by uh, Dr. Stasis, I was going to say sister, same for it, but we were told by Dr. Stasis that the waves washed her away. Mother and son reunite in a mold-shattering tale that exposes secrets held for decades and redefines both characters forever. Spurrier says, it's not often you get the chance to shine new light into the origins of a truly beloved character. To do so for two at once is an unprecedented privilege, Spurrier shared. With this book, we're breaking new ground in more ways than one. We're walking the path with the deepest love for Nightcrawler Mystique and the deepest respect for the formative stories that surround them. We've had Cy Spurrier on the podcast, as I mentioned before. So articulate with his words. He's such a great guy. This is a great quote you know, to say. We're respecting what came before. We love these characters. We're approaching them. Seisperger, I'm sorry to say that. I don't think some of the stories have landed in the Krakoan age. I, it, it breaks my heart because he's done Onslaught, right? He did Onslaught Revelations. And that should be a, a, a series or a story that I should be all around. And I kind of thought was mad. I mean, Onslaught had a fucking sword. You know what I mean? But I've always enjoyed his stories. And when we had him on the podcast, he was so incredibly articulate. Such a well-rounded, honest kind individual we love him very much so check out that interview with Seisperger because you're going to fall in love with him as we did it was the first time I actually ever I never saw an interview with him well I mean I did when I was prepping for that interview I researched him but that that month that I interviewed him I was doing research and it was the first time I actually had ever seen him and he's so articulate such a again such a great human please go check out Seisperger and this is such a great quote all right, so he continues. Well, let's make sure. <laughs> Wait, he has another paragraph of a quote. Let's let's make sure I'm still happy with it. All right, Spurrier continues. And yet, by shifting perspective, by wondering which parts of the standard history can be trusted and which are unreliable, by climbing into the minds and memories of mother and son alike, we're enriching their shared tale in a way that will cast fertile shadows across everything they do from now onwards. This is one of those books that will be discussed for years to come, he teased. Um, yeah, (laughs) I just, so here's the thing. 
of course, that quote was fine. Yes, 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 that quote was fine. But I, I always have qualms when people say this is going to be one of the stories that's going to be discussed, right? We saw this with Zeb Wells and Miss Marvel when they were like, oh, Zeb Wells is not going to be able to go to a convention because everyone's going to be so angry at him. It's like, really? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I wish they wouldn't say those things that people are going to be discussing this for years to come. I, I know that is marketing copy. That is something he was probably fed. But I just like, let's read the story. Don't don't hype your story up too big. Because again, a lot of things in the Krakoan age have just sort of fallen flat on their face. And not many people have really enjoyed it, especially, and I'm, again, I'm really sorry to say, I don't think the Legion of X, you know, everything going on with the Spark, Onslaught Revelations, you know, his stories with Legion, they haven't really landed that well. No one's talking about them, you know, with the exception of the podcasts that cover cover the X-Men Weekly. Not many people are talking about it. And again, I think Seisberger is a very capable writer. I think he's a really great guy. You know, we it's sort of my similar thoughts with Teeny Howard, right? Where I think they are they are very talented, but they're occupying a corner of the Marvel Universe or the X-Men stories that you know, the, the story was fine, but then it's being dragged out for years. And you're like, what? it's time to move on from this corner. You know, like I've said this with Otherworld. Teeny Howard, I think it's such an exceptional writer when it comes to world building, delivering dialogue. I mean, you're reading a Teeny Howard book, you're going to get a lot out of out of the text. But no one cares about Otherworld, right? <laughs> right? And we want to see Betsy shine in different ways. So you know, that's the same note I'm going to give you for Cy Spurrier. I wish we would get Cy out of this corner of like Legion of X, Spark, Onslaught, Nightcrawler. Like, let's let's pull him out and put him somewhere else just to see his talent really shine. So that's my note on that there. Okay. And so then we had another article that came out. I'm trying to see. It was a one. It was a one solicitation or news release where they had mentioned that Mystique and Destiny's love story was the greatest in mutant history. <laughs> Which I'm not trying to be shady here, but I, as much as I love Mystique and Destiny together, I wouldn't call them the greatest mutant love story in in, in mutant history. Okay, I think it was this Marvel article that came out on august 18 2023 when the cover with mystique and destiny came out what dodderman did which is beautiful by the way we did a collab post with planet x-men about it and i love it so much okay i think this is it russell dodderman's x-men blue origins number one cover spotlights the greatest love story in mutant history <laughs> again i love mystique and destiny together so much you know for if you were growing up in the 90s and you were reading Legion Quest, you you saw her reaction to, to you saw Mystique's reaction to Irene's death and you knew. I mean, the subtext was 100% there. You were like, oh my God, the, the, she's mourning not her best friend, right? You literally can take the words out of Mystique, best friend and add in wife, lover, girlfriend. But Mystique and Destiny, I again, we didn't know Mystique was even married to Destiny until recently when she was begging for her resurrection in Hickman's X-Men in the Krakoan age, right? So, you know, I, whereas I'm really glad that they are together officially, and it doesn't have to be this coy, you know, editorial, are they or are they not gay baiting kind of thing? They, 
to say they are the greatest love story immune in history is just a little, you're going to have to sell me on that. I'm going to have to see a little bit more of that because it's murky at best. We've gotten a few flashbacks in Immortal X-Men and Extreme X-Men. We've seen a couple of flashbacks here and there, especially Mike Carey's, you know, we, we kind of got a glimpse into Rogue's relationship with Destiny. So that's fine. But you're going to have to sell me on that because as of right now, I'm not going to say they're the greatest, you know, love story in muted history. But let's break down this article really quickly. Okay, so here it is. So Marvel said this November, Cyspiria, the writer who masterfully guided the character through the Crowan Age, will clear away all the lies to tell the definitive Necrol origin story in X-Men Blue Origins number one. With art by Will Wilton Santos and Marcus Two, the special one-shot will deliver a rousing saga that spans mutant history with revelations that X-Fans have longed for. You think you know the tale of Mystique and Azazel's devilish affair, but what role did Mystique's true love destiny play? I'm glad they said that because, again, at the time, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a definitive confirmation that Mystique and Irene were together. Again, it was stuff we had found out during interviews in the subtext. And when we were reading Chuck Austin's X-Men when we got Mystique screaming I'm in love after having an affair with Azazel we were kind of like um no you're not Mystique you're supposed to be in love with Irene <laughs> you know so it kind of threw all of us off when we saw that so I'm glad they're going to address where Destiny was during the Azazel affair their beautiful romance has steered the course for mutantdom throughout the century and when they reunited on Krakoa they became two of mutant kind's most prominent leaders agreed you can't disagree on that. You you know, they, they're on the council. They are shaping the way Krakoa is heading towards, you know, the future. Absolutely agree. I, I love that we have Irene on the council. I love that their marriage is front and center in the X-Books. I'm 100% happy with that. You know, I think it's worked for a character like Irene. We've really humanized Irene. You know, Mystique is one of those characters that, like, I think if you show too much of her, that mystique kind of gets you know peeled away i what i love about mystique as a character is that she's a cold hard assassin that, that she'll stab her own daughter you know kind of deal but that irene is her one weak spot so it's this kind of little tightrope balance you have to do with that kind of character because i do think they're leaning a little too much into humanizing mystique as a character that's not a bad thing by any means because we've had you know decades of stories where she's just stone cold and murdering people and you're like damn mystique but i really i hope you know after we're done with fall of x we can get back to a very stone cold assassin style mystique one that's not going and falling through a window as if i'm not playing with my hair enough on this video already i'm like now wait 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 i gotta fix my hair but anyways now the fall of X spiraling around them it's time to spill their biggest secret Ooh. okay so we're going to get into our feels on them revisiting the Nightcrawler origin story. We're going to speculate, but I want to go through the history of Nightcrawler from an editorial perspective, how he was created, what were his original intentions, where did Chris Claremont kind of like come in here. And it all starts with like Dave Cockrum. But I want to call out this article we're going to be reading from called Secrets Behind the X-Men, and this was published in January 2012, and it's titled Nightcrawler's Forbidden Origin, and the author, who is sci-fi film nerd, who has written about entertainment in various magazines and internet 
sites including Out and About and XQ28, dealing mostly with music, movie, TV series, and comic books. He has worked also in PR. He has gone through, you know, uh, various sources, uh, going back to like the Marvel Age issue number 36, Marvel Age preview, interviews with Wizard, Peter Sanderson, the X-Men companion back from 82. So he's really dived deep into Nightcrawler's origin from an editorial perspective. It is the best out there. I mean, I thought, I was like, I don't want this episode to be just like me reading off other people's work, but let's give credit to, to him. Um, sci-fi film nerd because he has done such a great job it's the best out there on the internet that gives you a comprehensive view on nightcrawler his origin how mystique and destiny sort of played into it editorially you know on the back and how it played into editorially and why marvel would possibly want to look back into into nightcrawler's history and revise a story that was pretty definitive again it wasn't well received it wasn't well liked but it was accepted and it was sort of like we just moved on from it. So it's curious now in 2023, we're revisiting this when no one asked for it. <laughs> right. So let's dive into his history. Um, again, I'll put a link to this in the comments below or like the video description. Okay. Artist Dave Cockrum created Nightcrawler, one of the most popular X-Men characters. He says in 1974, I was invited to revive the X-Men, Cockrum recalled in Wizard number 33. I used to work for Wizard, so I love seeing Wizard out there. And Wizard, for, for all of you new kids out there, for all of you young kids, Grandpa Dayspring is going to remind you Wizard was like the definitive comic book magazine. Before CBR, before Instagram pages, before Twitter, you waited monthly for that Wizard magazine. And in it, you would see reveals for the toy biz figures. You would get interviews with the with the cast of whatever movie was happening. You would get interviews with the writers and you get a, a section called casting calls and they would fan cast, you know, potential like movies like for X-Men, for example, or Thunderbolts, you know. Um, the Wizards podcast, which I have been on, they're an account on Instagram and they're also a podcast. They showcase past issues of wizard and it's it was such a vibe i mean i cannot tell you how great it was to walk into borders on a saturday morning and see that they had a new issue of wizard and it was great to work for wizard when i did back in 2006 2007 i think it was 06 07 um no 07 07 okay so Cockham recalled in Wizard number 33, for months I'd been badgering Roy Thomas, the Marvel editor-in-chief, for my own series, and he finally came through to me. One day he walked into the area that I worked in, and he literally told me to go home and come back with some new X-Men. I was really excited about it. The first new X-Men that Cockrum introduced was Nightcrawler, a personal favorite that he had created years earlier. Cockrum recalls, I was still in the Navy when Nightcrawler popped in my head. I was stationed in Guam at the time, and I sat up one night in the middle of this crazy typhoon because it was just too noisy to sleep. I don't know how my mind went down this path, but I suddenly I found myself thinking about this Nightcrawler character, this demon from hell who had flubbled, flubbled, flubbed? <laughs> flubbed, who had flubbed a mission and fearing that what would happen to him if he went back kind of punishment he'd have to face had decided to stay above ground so to speak in a world of humans Cockrum and his wife andrea was with him that fateful night in guam we decided wouldn't it be fun if he was a demon and he could teleport and run up walls and howl like an animal and all kinds of weird stuff he was a nasty son of a bitch the only thing that made him any kind of a good guy at all was just that he chose to help 
the good guys. Gawker calls in the X-Men Companion. I don't think I've read the X-Men Companion. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to track down a copy of that. When I became a pro and I was doing Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes at DC Comics, I proposed four new Legionnaires and Nightcrawler was one of them. But the editor's response at the time was that he was too weird looking. Fuck, are you telling me that Nightcrawler could have been part of the DC universe? That's insane. That is fucking insane. Mm. That's very interesting. That is that is a very interesting thing. Instead of a demon escape from hell, Nightcrawler became a mutant from Germany. Crawler remained closest to his heart during his time as an X-Men artist. In the X-Men Companion, subsequent artist John Byrne remembered, I came into the X-Men being very down on Nightcrawler because I felt that Cockrum had given him far too much of a spotlight. I felt those early days, it was Nightcrawler's comic co-starring the X-Men. Ah, that's really interesting. Very, very interesting. When Chris Claremont took over the writing of X-Men with issue number 94 in 1975, it became up to him to define Nightcrawler's character and establish his past history. When we first started using him, I think we intended to go with that dark, malevolent side, Cockrum recalled in the X-Men Companion. Personally, I now prefer him the way he is, the swashbuckler. Agreed. I, I think we all agree we like that swashbuckler persona to Nightcrawler. Every goddamn Marvel weird-looking person is brooding, so why not have one who doesn't? Oh, I love that. Like, Dave Cockrum, I mean, if there's something evident by this right now, he has such a good grasp on the character. I love it. Can you imagine had the original intent for Nightcrawler have been he would be in DC Comics as a brooding legionnaire and a demon that has escaped from hell? No, it just wouldn't have worked. That's why I argue... You know, there, there is the intent of what was supposed to be, you know, from the creator's perspective and where the character evolves, right? We we see that across all mediums, right? Sailor Moon is one of those perfect examples that Naoko Takuchi really wanted, you know, these characters to be different. I believe Saturn was going to be half cyborg. You know, we had different looks for those characters initially. It's okay that these ideas evolve with the help of an editor. That is the job of an editor to take a creator's idea and help form and shape it. It's a collaboration. So again, you know, when we were talking about Miss Marvel now being a mutant and the counter argument being, oh, well, she was always intended to be a mutant. It's like, yeah, of course, there's a lot of ideas that creators have for their characters. But once you get to editorial into the publishing process, it changes. And sometimes it really does change for the good. And in Kamala's case, I thought her Inhumans origin story was absolutely perfect. In Nightcrawler's case, you know, it worked out because, again, he would have been in DC Comics as a Legionnaire, as a demon from hell, bamfing everywhere and howling like a beast. No, we, we love this guy right here. We're so happy that he made it through editorial the way he did. Chris Claremont had Nightcrawler use an image inducer to hide his true appearance from the public. So... They wouldn't chase him down like an angry mob did in his first appearance in Giant Size X-Men number one. There were a lot of readers out there who actually thought it was something he could do, not a gizmo he carried, but a superpower, Cochran recalled. It wasn't something he could do, and we were trying to point that out. Oh, that's really interesting that people thought it was actually part of his power, that he could shape into human form and stuff like that, and that it wasn't an image inducer. That's super interesting. Early in his run, X-Men writer Chris Claremont got the idea that the ruler of the Dimension of Dreams Nightmare, 
who had pointy ears just like Nightcrawler should be revealed as Nightcrawler's father. Oh, that's interesting. They wanted Nightmare to be Nightcrawler's father. Hmm. Unfortunately, Nightmare was an ancient foe of Doctor Strange and Roger Stern, who was writing Doctor Strange at the time, did not like the idea. Chris had come up with the latest of several crazy ideas and declared. <laughs> I love that Chris Claremont doesn't just suggest ideas. He declared and declared that Nightcrawler's father was night was Nightmare. As I recall, Len Wine across the room and shook my hand. And not too long after that, I did become the X-Men editor and was able to make sure that didn't happen for long enough that Chris eventually changed his mind. Many years later, in Uncanny X-Men 428 through 434, 2003-2004, writer Chuck Austin revealed Nightcrawler's father as Azazel, a mutant from biblical times, also known as Satan. <laughs> he was trapped in a dimension through which Nightcrawler teleports and had sired mutant offsprings capable of opening gateways to Earth. The mutants Kiwi Black and Abyss were Nightcrawler's half-brothers. So there you go. So, oh, you know what? I never pointed... I, you know, it's so funny. I always thought Abyss was had a larger role in the main 616 comics than it, it, like he did in Age of Apocalypse. I always forget that he's also Nightcrawler's half-brother. In Uncanny X-Men number 142, Nightcrawler met the shape-shifting mutant Mystique who had a physical resemblance to him. She told him that his adoptive mother could answer his questions about who he was, but Nightcrawler never asked. When Nightcrawler joined Excalibur in 1988, Claremont announced in Amazing Heroes number 134, one of the storylines we will take seriously is play into Nightcrawler's origins. We would, we would have done that in X-Men, but the story was such a dud, I decided not to do it. Hopefully now we'll try again and do it right. Everyone has been wondering why Nightcrawler and Mystique look alike. However, his origin story didn't happen in the pages of Excalibur either, but a 64 pages Excalibur hardcover graphic novel was announced in Marvel Age Preview number one to ship in December 1990. The copy read Chris Claremont and Alan Davis continue their Excalibur collaboration with the biography of Kirk Wagner, Nightcrawler, from his birth to his rescue at the hands of Charles Xavier. We will finally learn more about the mysterious connection between Nightcrawler and Mystique. However, the graphic novel never materialized and Nightcrawler's origin ended up being written by Scott Lobdell in X-Men Unlimited number four in 1994. Instead, Lobdell did not follow Chris Claremont's idea, but he knew about them. He explained his reason for going in in another direction was it was Chris's plan that Mystique and Irene Atler were lovers, and that Mystique had one point transformed into a man and impregnated Destiny, and she gave birth to Nightcrawler. So this is where, if you weren't aware of it, this is where, you know, probably X-Men Origins Blue is going to go, especially introducing Destiny. So Destiny and Mystique were actually Nightcrawler's father and mother. Lobdell continues, the likelihood of either A, Mystique growing genitals and sperm with a DNA code, or B, Mystique being a guy who was perpetually in the body of a woman, I thought was pretty slim. Instead, Lobdell had Mystique be Nightcrawler's mother with Destiny no longer part of the equation. Um, It's interesting that Lobdell was thinking that Mystique would have always been a man perpetually and taking on the form of a female. That I don't know. I, I, I think the idea, I think his column A, where she shapeshifts into a man impregnates destiny is sort of where most of us X fans went with it when we first heard about this theory on AOL keyword Marvel back in the day, or, you know, these 
websites on the early days of the internet. But let's let's go let's go through it a little bit more and we'll talk about it. The next section of the article, Claremont told about his choice for Nightcrawler's parents in his online Cordially Chris forum. Oh my God, I haven't thought about Cordially Chris in such a long while. Cordially Chris forum. As for when Mystique and Irene got together, look at the backstory established in Extreme X-Men number one and two. Check out the fashions and the social social culture in the visuals. Regarding Mystique, I always consider her default form to be blue-skinned and female. Agree. 100% agree. However, being a full-spectrum metamorph gender for her was a matter of choice, convenience, and necessity. Her assumption of the male gender during the particular period of her life relates more to the prejudice of the time. Interesting. Very, very interesting. A a male consulting detective is likely to be taking a tad bit more serious in official circles than a woman. That is, I mean, listen, we we rag on Chris Claremont, you know, on these days for long dialogue and his Claremontism. But damn, does Claremont have such a, you know, an ear to the ground on, on these characters and the times they would have been active in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that so much. You know, if you go back to Extreme X-Men, you see that Mystique looks, I mean, she's in her female form, female template form, but she is wearing masculine clothes, right? I agree. I think Mystique would be posing as a male detective in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because a male detective would have been taken more seriously. It, it, it was just a byproduct of the time. And Mystique, being the cunning assassin she is, would use the playing field to her advantage. Advantage. So she would be masquerading as a male detective and probably impregnate Destiny. But that would make Nightcrawler like over 100 years old, make him just as old as like Destiny and Irene. I mean, you know, knock off a couple like decades, you know what I mean? But I, I find that really interesting that Claremont was able to see that Mystique would have the foresight to understand what sexism was at the time and use male forms to her advantage. It is brilliant. Again, Claremont just understands these characters in such a way. Uh, Claremont also told why Mystique had left the infant Nightcrawler. At that point, Mystique had no idea she was a mutant or a metamorph. She simply reacted as many normal folks would in the circumstances. And in the process, had something of a nervous breakdown, mental collapse, which, of course, was a whole other story that we'll never see print. Hmm. Okay, so that's interesting. You know, it's funny. We, we do mention that in the Scott Lobdell story for X-Men Unlimited number four, Mystique does feel pretty green in that, ironically, because she's blue. She does feel pretty green. All right. Let's unpack all of that really quickly, and then we'll we'll sort of speculate where we think they can go. Yes, 100% agree that Mystique looked very green, again, when she had baby Nightcrawler, and she, like, hurled him off. So, you know, when we look at X-Men Unlimited number four, we see Mystique very distraught holding baby Nightcrawler. She sort of leaves him at the cliff of the waterfall. She comes back in the form of a villager and then throws baby baby Nightcrawler off the waterfall, which is one of the most infamous, one of the most infamous moments in X-Men history. Mystique holding baby Nightcrawler, just boom, throwing him off the waterfall. It's it's really, that's pretty iconic in terms of X-Men origins and, and, and moments. <laughs> then we see in Chuck Austin's run, we get a little bit more of a bird's eye view. 
that Mystique was having an, an affair uh, with Azazel. And she was in love with Azazel. And she gets really angry at baby Nightcrawler once he's born because he blew her cover. She was rich. She was famous. She was in love with Azazel. And so she angrily throws baby Nightcrawler off the waterfall. Now, you know, Count Wagner, who, you know, at the time, you know, when we were given when we were given Nightcrawler's origin story, died under mysterious circumstances. We do see him in the Chuck Austin run. He's kind of a very like, like slap happy kind of individual who's just feeling lucky to be loved by Raven slash Mystique and Mystique murders him. And, you know, Azazel was his friend and contemporary and he knew the count knew he was here. Like, so Azazel comes, you seem infatuated with him. You turn up pregnant and he mysteriously leaves and Mystique's like, Oh God, this guy's figuring it out. And he's like, well, listen, I trust you, darling, but my dad is the one who wants you to get a DNA test for the baby. And Mystique's like, nope. She pulls out a knife and just murders him and like carries his body and buries him in the backyard all while she is pregnant. What do we think they're going to do with Nightcrawler's origin story, right? I don't, obviously we're going to be very clear here. We, we don't think he's going to be related to Nightmare in any way, shape or form. We don't think he's going to be secretly part of the Legionnaires. Let's, Put that away right now. What I think they're going to do, they're obviously going to lean into the Destiny, Irene, Nightcrawler, Azazel angle. I, like I mentioned earlier in this video, it seemed extremely weird to me at the time when I was reading this in the early aughts that Mystique would proclaim her love for Azazel because we're like, what the fuck, man? Like, she's in love with Destiny. Destiny's her true love. So why is she in love with Azazel all of a sudden? You know, she would be presumably with Irene at some point here because we had already seen in Extreme X-Men that she and Irene were active together in the 1800s, back when she was in her detective form. Again, in Extreme X-Men and Recently in Immortal X-Men, it confirms this. And even though she is in a female, you know, type, you know, form, we know from Chris Claremont's interview that she probably would take a male form. And that when we see her in this female form, it's just a cue to the reader that we know it's Mystique, right? So there's no mistaking that it's Mystique, right? So I, I hope they really do lean into that. My only grievance with this revision to the origin story is that Mystique holding baby Nightcrawler over a cliff is pretty fucking iconic. We have a Marvel Legends of Mystique with baby Nightcrawler. And you know, people just pose her like that, you know, holding, holding baby Nightcrawler. You can't fuck with that origin story. There's some origin stories that I understand that there was this original intention somewhere along the way in editorial and it got lost. I don't know how they're going to retcon it because it's pretty fucking clear that it's a Mystique right there who is impregnated by Azazel. And you know, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sipping my coffee. And you know, Mystique and Irene, the reason that story wasn't allowed to happen was because of the comic book code authority at the time and Jim Shooter, who had a no gay, no homosexuality policy in editorial. So the fact that we are able to revisit the story, let's see how it was supposed to be fleshed out. I want them at least to be consulting Chris Claremont on this, consulting other writers, LGBTQIA plus writers. So we tell a really good story about this and undo that editorial mandate. <laughs> okay, so they're going to have to explain, you know, this entire shebang here. Now, did 
Mystique turn into a male form, impregnate destiny, and maybe something was happening with the pregnancy that they have to make a deal with the devil, which is Azazel. And as part of the deal, Azazel's like, well, I'm going to leave this imprint on the child, and I'm going to transfer this child to Mystique. And that way we still get to keep the origin stories. Mystique in a male form impregnates destiny. Destiny is having difficulties with the pregnancy. They have to make a deal with the devil, Azazel. Azazel's like, okay, we're going to make a deal. But as part of this deal, this child can teleport in between dimensions where I'm being trapped. So I'm going to, you know, put my stamp on the baby. But also I'm going to move the baby from your, your body, Irene, to Mystique's body. And that way you get to keep the entire origin story as is while adding to it. That's how I would do it. We're going to see Kirk biologically related to Irene in some way, shape, or form. But listen, I'm all for a very convoluted backstory. I just hope it's done right. And I think Cy Spurrier is a very capable writer, but a lot of things in the Krakoan age that they've tinkered with, that they've kind of gone back on, has just uh, not been the best. So I'm cautiously optimistic. But I'll tell you something. I'm not excited for Uncanny Spider-Man. I mean... Who asked for Nightcrawler to be Spider-Man? I'm not trying to be shady or anything like that. I just, I understand the popularity of Across the Spider-Verse. Why not have a mutant Spider-Man? That makes perfect sense from an editorial IP perspective. But like, ah, I'm kind of like shrugging at it. So let's see how things unfold. I'm My curiosity is definitely peak. Familia, I want to hear your ideas. What do you think is going to happen with Nightcrawler in this revised origin story? I think we can all agree that they're going to try to respect Chris Claremont's idea that Mystique, because gender and sex are very fluid for a shapeshifter, would impregnate destiny and somehow Azazel is going to play into it. I think we can all agree that's probably where they're going to try to lean into and, and make sense of it. Give us your thoughts. Did you know Nightcrawler's origin? I didn't know that he was originally pitched as a legionnaire over at DC. I didn't know that he was originally conceived as a demon from hell. That was the only way you could tell he was good is because he was helping out the good guys and that he was howling and bamfing. I'm so glad that we got the Nightcrawler we have today. Are you glad that we got the Nightcrawler we got today? Leave your thoughts down below.